to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as ever, I am joined by the victorious Matt. Hello there. So, we are cracking on with the David Tennant specials at the moment, the 2009 specials, mm. as they're sometimes referred to. Doctor Who is one of, has one of the hardest like episode structures to like, categorise, because it's not just like series, series, it's like you've got the Christmas specials, you've got this weird little interlude... You've got the mini-episodes that slot in between. Is it fair to say, so far, the specials haven't been that special? Um, What, of this particular batch? Yeah. Yeah, definitely, I would say. Um, We had had the the regular Christmas special, The Next Doctor, Mm -hmm. which tried to be fancy, but then kind of, as as I said on that episode, I feel like um, just undercut its own premise far too early. Uh, and then, yeah, Planet of the Dead is, with the exception of it having a one-off companion, is effectively just Doctor Who by numbers, isn't it? Yeah. And what what do you make of Waters of Mars? I quite like it. Um, it's some people in the fandom hold like really put it on a pedestal. I don't think it's a perfect episode, but I think it is interesting and it does stuff that is different. I think if it was a forty-minute episode, yeah, it'd be. A lot better. I think it outstays its welcome. Yeah, the end. I can, I can certainly uh, see where you're coming from. With you that. know, we've seen a lot of very similar episodes. Yeah, and you know, I didn't feel there was that much different going on here to warrant that extra twenty minutes. Yeah. However, that extra twenty minutes are probably the best bit. Yeah, no, absolutely, they are. I think it's just like it. It. It's like. Um, it moves at a snail's pace. Yeah, it's it's like someone's. I don't know. Uh, I'm not good at sport analogies, but I'm attempting one. Someone's going in for like a fancy bowl in cricket, and they're like taking a long time, limbering up, winding up their bowling arm, getting ready. When they eventually do throw the ball, you know, it's it's a corker, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of preamble. To get us to that that endpoint, because I think the reason that so much of the fandom loves it is for what it does with the character of the Doctor, yes, and yeah. the implications of that, and and we'll get to all of that when that uh, occurs in the, in the story. But um, yeah, I do think up until that point, you can certainly draw parallels to other Doctor Who stories. The, there is yeah. one thing that does make this episode special, and what is that? It is the first episode we've watched that is within 10 years of where we currently are. God, I never even thought about that. We've still got 10 years of Doctor Who to watch. (laughs) I'm glad you're smiling. (laughs) Yeah, I'm delighted at that prospect. Yeah. So 15th of November 2009, we're finally in decade of this episode. Wow. Crazy. We've got so much still to go. Yeah, we're not even halfway. Yeah. In terms of like Do you think there'll series. be a new doctor by the time we've caught up? We've it's... got two full doctors to go and then some of the current doctor. Yeah, I think it's possible. I wouldn't rule it out. I I'm hoping uh Jody sticks around for a, 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 at least another two or three series, but she could be two series and done for all we know. That's the last thing we need. More <laughs> doctors. Right then. Right, so, so should we start? Why not? So, 
this was written by RTD and Phil Ford. I think recently we had the first co-writing. Yeah, we did. That was a previous uh, One Planet of the Dead. Have we uh, met Phil Ford before? I don't know that we have, to be honest. I'm going to quickly check that. I think this might be his first one. Head writer of the second series of Sarah Jane Adventures. Ha! And then uh, wrote this, yeah. So there you go. So yeah, not his first work on the show proper, by the sounds of it. But uh, yeah, has previously. Who, who looked at the Sarah Jane adventures and thought that is so well written? That is the man we need. <laughs> well, to be fair, second series we've only watched the pilot. Yeah, but we've seen Sarah Jane back in, in Doctor Who again. Written, the worst thing written by know. RTD. But anyway, so. Yeah, I, but to, to to be honest, I don't. I, I like that you cut me off before I could go on a Sarah Jane rant. Again. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not here for that. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't think the writing is terrible in this episode. I think it's got a pretty strong strict script overall. Maybe, as we say, a little bit flabby, but uh, the the dialogue and stuff I think is all pretty on, on point. Um, what was the other thing I was going to mention about this one? Ah. It, it escapes me now. Oh, no, that was it. Um, the other thing that I did think was worth mentioning before we get into the meat of it is the fact that technically, it depends how you want to argue it, this is the first episode of Doctor Who that we've seen so far with no discernible companion. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, second billing for the episode is Lindsay Duncan playing uh, uh, Captain Adelaide Brooke, but would you call her a companion? No. Not in the traditional sense. Yeah. Yeah, she's not there to like assist and serve the Doctor. Not at all. They're at loggerheads for like mm. a good chunk of it. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, interesting thing that you you really have effectively got the Doctor flying solo in this episode. Yeah, to a greater extent than we've had previously. So. Right. So whilst whilst we're talking about Captain Adelaide, we may as well start there because she's yes. the first thing we see. So we have Captain Adelaide being contacted by a lady holding a baby. We like to find out that's her daughter and granddaughter. Yes. Yeah. And we find out Adelaide's been gone from Earth for two years. Yeah. And I think specifically it's, it's like a pre-recorded message. So it's not like a Skype yeah. call. It's just a, a video message that they have sent up for her to watch. And the signal dies on that feed just as the Doctor arrives. It's fairly obvious he's on Mars. Everything's red. Yeah. I think he opens by saying, I'm on Mars. <laughs> Something like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think about how the, the way they managed to pull Mars off on a BBC budget? I don't know, it's pretty... I think they did it well, because it's, like, non-spectacular, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's just a lot of red rock. Yeah, but it, it is one of those things that it's actually fairly challenging to do in a moderately convincing fashion. You know, polystyrene rocks and things mm. is... It, it's, is that how they did it? No, I don't think they, they did necessarily, but it's how they would have been previous years. I'm not yeah. actually sure whether they filmed those scenes on location or anything like that, and maybe just colour graded it. Or yeah, that's how yeah. I assumed they'd probably done it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but even uh, to be fair, the BBC was definitely splashing out a little more for Doctor Who for this series of specials than they had previously. Mm. I think we saw that with the the previous episode with you know filming on location well, in a desert. The, there's one point in this episode I'm going to talk about where I think they could have done a bit better. Oh, I think I know what you're referring yeah. to, but uh, yeah, um, but yeah, no, I think they they managed. It's convincingly Marsish. Yeah, and um, we're introduced to a guy called Yuri, who 
is fixing something on the surface. Yeah. He makes a sign that says no trespassing. Funnily enough, the Doctor just wanders across. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, they're on Bowie Base 1. Yeah. Do you get the reference? I do get the reference. I'm Life a big Bowie fan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that made me smile a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so the Doctor is sort of heading towards the base and he's halted by a robot. Gadget. Gadget, gadget. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> he's awful, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, intentionally so. That you know, I think we're meant to sympathise with the Doctor's disdain for Gadget. Yeah, because it's not even as good as, like, Johnny Five. No, no. And, and, you know, in the Doctor's words, he's a bit flimsy. Yes. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, later, we, like... I don't know. We'll get. We maybe get to it when we get to it. But yeah, right. Yeah, so at that point, we get the titles, and when we come back, the doctor's been interrogated by the base crew. Yeah. So shall we just take a moment to talk through those? Yeah. Why not? So we have the aforementioned Yuri. Yeah. The most stereotypical Eastern European man. Yeah. Then we have Captain Adelaide, who is the mum from before. She's sort of in charge. Yeah. We've got Gemma Chan playing Mia. Yes. Gemma Chan from Humans? I, I believe so. Uh, yeah, I've not seen Humans yet, but I, hasn't she also, wasn't she in Captain Marvel recently? Possibly. Or am I confusing her with someone else? I might I'm not be. certain. But anyway, yeah. Then we have Edward, who's the tough guy. Second oh, yeah. man, tough he, guy. Yeah, they sort of grizzled uh, yeah. type. Yeah. It's like Australian. I think that was the intention. It, it, it comes <laughs> and goes. It comes and goes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because they're, 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 they're trying to make it seem like a very much an international yeah. effort, aren't they? But. So we have Steffi Eric, who's like German? Maybe. Or Swedish, maybe. Yeah. And she's in charge of comms, I believe. Yeah. She sort of doesn't really have a purpose until... Until she dies. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Spoilers, I mean, it's a, it's a base under siege style Doctor Who story, yeah. half the crew are going to die. Anyway. Then we have Tarek, who's the medic. Yeah. And then we have two others, Maggie and Andrew, who are in sort of like a botany lab. Yes, yeah. plants, almost for terraforming, maybe. Yeah, I think it's like early experiments in terraforming. It's like, it's all under a sort of geodesic dome, so it's a controlled environment, but... I think the plan is like, you know, can we sustain life on Mars? Well, they can because they grow carrots. They do. Apart from, in my notes, I've just put, Andy is a horrible monster. <laughs> Was this before <laughs> or after the change? Well, <laughs> so they're sort of chatting yes. and Maggie's talking to the back of Andy's head. Yes. And he's not really moving or doing no, anything. he's kind of gone a bit weird after cooing over his carrots. And when he turns around... He's got like a stone mouth yeah, that's it's, pouring with water. Yeah, so like the, the, the mouth, it's all like dry and cracked round, but then, yeah, the mouth itself is pouring out just clear liquid. And he's got like blue contacts, like sort of White Walker style. Mm. Actually, I think this episode would have predated. Oh, yeah, it would. Thrones by a year or so. Um, but yeah, so it's. it's uh, what do you think of the design of the the flood as they are known? I liked it. Yeah. I yeah. liked it. I think they're a better looking monster slash enemy than we've seen in a lot of episodes. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're they're in they're in the upper tier. Mm. Um, it's I mean, 
they're effectively it's zombie rules, isn't it? It's yeah. all very close to zombie rules, but it's just enough of a twist on that that it feels fresh to me. I yes. Think. Yeah. 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 Now, we talked about it predating Game of Thrones. Yeah. It also predates Virgin Galactic, but they acknowledge that the Virgin Group are trying to man like shuttles into space. And I, I looked it up and I couldn't find when Virgin Galactic first began. I think they've I think in some capacity they've been around around back then. Yeah. Branson's been crack, trying to crack that nut for a very long time. Right. Yeah. I think he he's like been talking about it since the eighties. So, right. uh, but yeah, um, they also mentioned the Philippines, don't they? Yeah, it's like having a space project. I, I don't know where that's coming from because I'm not aware of the Philippines playing in those waters. I could be wrong. I don't see them as like joining the space. Race. No, I mean India definitely is at the moment, and Israel yeah. recently. Uh, uh, did, launched a, a moon lander I think that then crashed into the surface of the <laughs> yeah. moon which is you know sad but it happens you know we can't talk with do you remember the beagle yeah oh, I still feel sorry for that scientist know. you know the lead scientist on that project ah uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the doctor realises it's the year 2059 and starts putting the pieces together realises it's the day of a Mars disaster. Yes. Yeah. Convenient that he arrived at that point, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, like, it's... Uh, I quite like the way this is revealed. When the, he's... It, when the penny drops and he realises who the people are, he does his usual starstruck thing that we've seen the Doctor do before when he encounters a famous person mm. from history. He starts gushing and shaking hands and blurting out their names at them like they wouldn't know who they are. Um... But then you see his face kind of fall, and then it starts to cut. When, when he took in, introduces us to each person, it like cuts to a screenshot of their obituary, yes. like on a news website, and and they've all died on this same date. And it and it flashes too quick for you to like read all the text about you know the circumstances. But that's the point where you realise, oh shit, he has like. This is, I mean, I think they refer, refer to it later. But it's almost like uh, Pfizer Pompeii, he's turned up on Volcano Day. There is yes. something is going to go There's badly some pretty wrong. strong parallels between that yeah. and this, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so he just decides he's going to leave. Yeah. Fixed point in time, can't save them. Yeah. He's leaving. Yeah, now this is what, you, you know, we, we talked before about like the whole fixed point in time concept and how that's. It's a very convenient thing for the writers because it basically is like, oh yeah, the Doctor can piss about with history at this point but he definitely can't touch this bit and yeah. he knows why and we just have to trust him. But um, that I think that what that does is that puts a lot of the onus on Tennant to sell you on the idea that this really is a line he can't cross. Yeah. And I think he, it, of everything I can praise in this episode, Tennant's performance is top. Yeah, for me, yeah. in terms of... Certainly towards the end, yeah. he really takes it up a gear. Yeah. So, over the communications on the base, they hear, like, a horrible, monstrous roar. Yeah. And Captain Adelaide points the finger at the Doctor, says everything's basically gone to shit since he's arrived. So, he's not allowed to leave. He needs to accompany them. Yeah. And he doesn't really have much choice, so he does. 
And whilst in conversation with Adelaide, he says that she sacrificed everything for this mission. I think that alludes to the family at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. That she's not, you know, taking I, any part in their life. Well, I, yeah, I think basically it's, uh, the implication is it's a one-way ticket. Mm. As you would expect a, a mission like this to be. Like, they're going there to establish a colony. They are not. But they do have a getaway rocket. Yes, but I think that was for like emergencies, I don't, uh, an emergency evacuation. I don't think the implication was that they would be heading home, mm. necessarily. So the next bit confused me okay. somewhat, because they are going to see Maggie and Andrew to see what's happened. Yeah. And they find Maggie, and she's clearly being shot in the head, but she's all right. Like, the, the wound she has in the front of her head <laughs> is pretty gruesome. Yeah. And they roll her over and they go, oh, no, she's still breathing. I'm not buying that for a <laughs> second. Not for a second. Fair enough. And Steffi and Mia, back at sort of the central command of the base, yeah. have decrypted the raw and worked out it was Andy. I yes. think I've written Andy and Andrew interlinking. They're the same person. Yeah. So... The Doctor uses his sonic screwdriver to sort of bring the biodome back online. And he notices there's birds everywhere. Yeah. And they mention that that's their source of protein. It's a bit weird. Because they show you like a little Christmas robin. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember this to us. It was quite late when I was watching this. Episode. Yeah, I don't actually remember that moment. They, they talk about growing the vegetables. Yeah. And then they talk about their source of protein. It's a little Christmas Robin. Yeah. All right then. I imagine it was a fucking nightmare to take through space. Yeah. I mean, and and also I was just thinking it would be a fucking nightmare to like. There's not much eating on a Robin, is there? No. No. How, anyway, how would you cook it? I don't know. Like on a Are spit? you sure you didn't dream this bit? I don't remember this bit at all. I, I'm certain they look in a tree <laughs> and there's a Christmas <laughs> Robin. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch this episode now. Anyway. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? Maybe I did dream that. I mean, it does seem quite out of sync. It does, because aren't they like grabbing no, protein no, no. packs? No, no, no. It definitely happens, because okay. they talk about it later. All right, okay. We'll maybe come back right. to it. Yeah, it did happen. One of us is gaslighting the other one over this. I don't know who it, I mean, who it is. Either I'm mistaken, and, and it definitely did happen, and I, I just I'll drop it into it. the conversation later, right. because it's a okay. bit... Bit of a big plot point when All it becomes right. relevant. Okay. So in the med bay, Maddie wakes. Sorry, Maggie wakes up, and Yuri puts her into quarantine. Yeah. Now, Tarek has joined the search with the doctor and Adelaide, and he finds Andy. Now, Andy is soaking wet. Yeah. This is where we get the first reveal that the water is important. Yeah. On some level. Yeah. And Maggie. Back in the med bay, begins to spasm. Yeah, I mean, I, I could only refer to it as spasming because it's more like interpretive dance. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's like something's taking hold. It's like a uh, possession. Almost. Yeah. Well, she's also soaking wet, and she now speaks with a strange voice and has the weird water mouth. Yeah. And when Adelaide calls the crew to come back to command, there's no sign of Tarek via the communications. That's because Andy is doing like a weird pissy shower out of his hand. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
It looks so weird. It does, because Tarek's like on his knees. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to use the phrase golden shower, but that's <laughs> that's the imagery. I guess. It's like a big pissy shower. So Andy's showering him with water. So Tarek is now a monster. So we have Maggie, Tarek and Andy. Yeah, we've, we've firmly established the rules at this point of how how this works. It's like water touches you and you, you're one of them. Yes. So Adelaide orders the crew immediately not to make any contact with water. Yeah. Except when they shut the sort of command door to seal themselves in. Water begins to breach it. Now, I thought this was probably one of the bits of the episode I liked. Yeah. Was, rather than it just being like a smoky monster that can get through doors, yeah. it was just water. Yeah. So they had to be absolutely sealed tight yes. to be safe. Yeah. So as it begins to breach, the Doctor hijacks Gadget. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the bit where I think, I wasn't that impressed. Yeah. Um, I think the thing is that it it's quite a serious episode, this one. It's one of the bleaker ones. Mm. Um, and I think at some point they were like, we need to do something to lighten this up a little bit. I feel like... And I, I and this moment, I think, is, is when is was intended for that. It's, it's like this meant to be like this funny scene. Where yeah. they have this getaway on Gadget. So, Gadget moves at yeah. two miles an hour. Yeah. And the Dr. Sonic screwdriver's it, so it goes really fast. Yeah. And there's just this bit, and it seems to go on forever, does, where they're just it? riding down this long corridor. Yeah. And we haven't talked about it, but the running joke through this episode is whenever there's a long distance to cover, the Doctor says, why don't you just get bikes? Yeah. Little foldy bikes. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, yeah, to to be fair, it's, it's almost like hanging lang shape all the usual running about. Yeah, that is oh, you know, your classic Doctor Who trope, but um, but yeah, I mean it, it's yeah. I don't mind the bike running gag, but I do find the the, the gadget, the fact that he goes so fast that he leaves like a trail of flame behind. Yeah, him. it's a bit dumb, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of it, it, it it's a mood breaking level of stupid. Yeah, and again, it sort of breaks the tension. Yeah, I, I and, bought in quite a lot with this episode. Yeah, I quite liked the sort of the flood. I thought they yeah. were quite good. Yeah, but this just took me out. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. It takes you out. Uh, and also, uh, we haven't mentioned that it, the gadget is controlled like by this guy wearing like gloves. It's almost like a, a virtual reality kind of interface. Yeah, thing that he has. So when they're they're careening along on gadget, like it cuts back to him, like in his little room, going like ah and shaking, and it's just like it's like what what are you implying is happening here? Yeah, they like they haven't explained that technology enough for that to make a lot of sense to no, us. No, no. So yeah, bit bit of a swing and a miss that moment. But anyway, so so they escape. Yeah, they shut the door behind them. The water starts blasting against the door. As we've already said. Yeah. So the doctor goes to Maggie, who's still in quarantine, and realizes he can speak to her in ancient, I think he says Northern Martian yes. tongue. So he makes a series of like weird clicks and grunts. Yeah. And she takes heed of that. So yeah, he's able to, to respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. So from that, he works out it's like a viral life form. 
yeah. that was frozen in the ice. When they've melted the ice as a source of water, that's how it's got in. Yeah. So Edward tells Adelaide that they need to initiate action procedure one, mm-hmm. which is basically get the hell out of Dodge and go home. Yeah. So like we say, they've got an emergency rocket. They begin to prep for that. Yes. Okay. So this is the point at which there definitely was a Robin. Okay. Okay. Because the doctor realizes that the enemy is clever. It must have some level of consciousness because it didn't possess the birds. It possessed the humans Uh knowing if it took over them, they would head back to earth and the flood can have all water on earth. Okay. Yeah. I must have missed this. Yeah. I promise you. Okay. No, I, I, you know, I believe you. I trust you, Babs. I don't know, because maybe that's like my weird Doctor Who imagery. You know, everyone <laughs> has weird images in the head of things. Maybe mine's a little Christmas Robin. Maybe. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so they're, they're starting to pack up, get, getting ready to leave. Yeah. So the fact that it didn't turn Maggie into a savage like it did with Andy and Tarek... Mm also proves how clever this enemy is and actually proves any one of them could be infected. Yeah. So at this point, it almost turns into the thing in that there's a little bit of panic between one another. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And because they can't risk it returning to Earth, Adelaide goes to investigate the ice field. She wants to find out once and for all what's going on. Yeah. So they can't escape at this point because they don't want to go to Earth if one of them's infected. Yeah. So Maggie escapes. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't take much effort. She just sort of gets out. Yeah. I mean, I guess they weren't expecting like a sort of superhuman water monster to be kept in their quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as she escapes, she calls to Tarek and Andy. Yeah. Um, she lets out a big scream. They sort of stop what they're doing. And begin moving towards her. Marshalling the forces. Yeah. So Adelaide then presses the Doctor on how he knows so much about what's going on. Yeah, and I really, really do like this scene. I think that the the, the interplay between them in these more serious moments works really well in this episode. What, What did you make of Adelaide's backstory that's revealed at this point? It's really intriguing, I think. Mm. Um... So basically, the short version is during the events of uh, the stolen Earth, mm-hmm. when the Daleks were were sort of uh, having a bit of a mill about on Earth, doing some exterminating, as is their way. Um, her father makes her hide in the attic, um, and a Dalek comes up to her window, definitely makes eye contact with her. And chooses not to exterminate her and just flies off. What I think is really interesting and really bold about that is that it flies in the face of our understanding of Daleks. Mm-hmm. But in a way that doesn't feel like just bad writing. like Because it's not like Russell T. Davis and Phil Ford forgot what a Dalek was. Mm. That, you know, <laughs> this is a man who's been writing Dalek stories for four years at this point and has been a fan of them since he was a child himself. So then we have to think about what is the implication of that? Is it that similarly to the Doctor, 
the, the Daleks are also a time-travelling race, do they have an awareness of, like, we can't kill this child here because of, the, yeah. you know, her, her impact later on. already predestined. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's my reading of it anyway. I don't know if you feel differently about it. Or do you think it's just dumb and they forgot to how to write No, Daleks? no, no. I quite liked it. <laughs> yeah. And the Doctor notices Adelaide's granddaughter is the first light speed pilot. Yes. So her death has to occur in order to inspire her granddaughter, which ultimately leads to mankind's expansion across the stars. Yes, yeah. And so it's basically you can you can kind of trace it back to that one moment with that Dalek because it's the Dalek flying off that uh, inspired Adelaide yes to follow a, a, a career in, in space exploration because it's uh, as as the Doctor points out not for revenge because what would the point of that be but just pure curiosity mm. um, which is obviously a thing that he don't greatly respects one line I really liked in amongst all this mm. is when Adelaide says well why are you telling me all this and he just goes consolation yeah so he's not going to do anything she is going to die yeah he can't do anything about it but at least her death becomes justified almost yeah and I, and I like that we like all through this episode so far there's like this tension like both in the, what the doctor says and just the, the expressions that Tennant is putting like where he's like he's just like I need to go I should leave I shouldn't be here I can't get involved in this and he's like you can see it almost physically Pull, he's being pulled back to the TARDIS but then pulled into whatever's going on and it's like this you know, this constant tension through through his actions. Um, just superb acting. Anyway, yeah. So, following their conversation, I think the Doctor maybe sonic screwdrivers at computer terminal yeah. and they see old footage of Andy when he's talking. He talks about a filter failure so that's how these problems have begun. Yeah. So, I, I didn't really understand this bit. Adelaide then realises that means that they're all clean and can leave. Yeah, it was some kind of bumper jumper, but it's to do with the way of, like, when the water would have been processed. I think it was just like, a, you yeah. know, fitting together the timeline and being like, okay, right, well, you would have been drinking water from before that filter was changed or whatever, so, so it's fine. Uh, so they can all safely head back to Earth. And then, when they realise they can leave and they need to head back to the main console, this is where she concedes that they do need bikes on the base. <laughs> yeah. So they load up the ship, but as they're doing so, they fail to notice there's like a beeping signal in the background because yeah. there's so much yeah. commotion going yeah. on. Yeah. And that signal is to tell them that the monsters are actually on the roof above them. Yes. So it's not the best news, is it? Not great. No. So, the Doctor considers leaving at this point. Yes. He realises things are really as bad yeah. as they could be. Yeah. He knows the disaster has to happen. Yeah. So, he puts on his spacesuit, goes for a little potter towards the TARDIS, yeah. but Adelaide halts him. She won't grant him access to leave yeah. until he tells her what happens. So, this is where we get another really good bit from yeah. Tennant because he thinks his involvement here has caused this he thinks all these problems all these time locked major catastrophes yeah. 
like Pompeii, yeah. are caused by his intervention. Yeah, and I like that he does specifically reference the similarities to, to Pompeii. It's, mm. It is a similar dilemma for him. I can't believe how unimportant I thought that episode <laughs> yeah, was at the time. I know. It's now just... every episode is just like, oh, remember Pompeii? Yeah. I stand by it. It wasn't a great episode. I think it's one of those ones where the more hindsight you have, the more yeah. you can appreciate it on, on a metatextual level in addition to the sto- the main story itself. Mm. Anyway, yeah, crack, so, moving on. They now decide they're going to take what's called Action 5. So instead of just leaving, they're going to blow up the base. Yeah. Why has everything got a nuke in it? It's really this bizarre. This is solution like... to everything. <laughs> just like, oh, shit's gone south. Yeah. Let's can the lot. I, I mean, how would you, would you sign up for a mission where it's like, okay, you're going to work on this base. Things might get a bit hairy, but don't worry. If it does, we've got a nuke buried under the base. Yeah. And we can just, I, I would not set a foot anywhere in the vicinity of that thing. Like, no. And the fact that they would have had to transport that nuke in a rocket to yeah. Mars. I didn't even think of that. It doesn't seem safe. No. Plus, <laughs> are any of them nuclear, like, technicians? I don't think so, no. No. They're just all angry people. <laughs> with, like, just angry space vague people. job descriptions. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's just RTDs. He can't help himself. He's just burying nukes left and right. Anyway. So the doctor tells Adelaide, you died today, she flies out there. Quite a nice line. And he says her death will create the future. So the Dalek knew this. This is where everything gets sort of revealed. Her death was fixed in time. And water begins to drip through. So Adelaide isn't given the opportunity to process any of this. No, no. Because as soon as the bombshells dropped... Water starts pissing through the ceiling. Yeah. Um, and it drops in such a way that it traps Steffi in a little room. Yeah. She begins freaking out. Yeah. Good thing the doctor's there to help. Mm. Oh, wait, no. He's put yeah. his shoes on. Yeah, he's, he's halfway he's out the door. Um, can we talk about Steffi's death scene, though? Because it's, yeah. it's, she's not been a very underdeveloped character up until this point. But I think she has the most poignant death scene out of yeah. anyone. Uh, because obviously they established earlier on, and for, uh, and also we missed the one with Yuri, I think, as well, but like video messages from home, from loved ones. It's obviously a thing that they all have and they all cling to. And so in her final moments, she brings up a video message from her... Uh, it's daughters, I believe, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah... That's yeah. it's that's tough, isn't it? Yeah. The the fact that she doesn't spasm and freak out in quite as funny way as Maggie does yeah, yeah. makes it all the more tragic. Yeah, no, that that's a moment that like for for a character you know almost nothing about, that really hits harder than it has any right to. Yeah, I feel like. So, so what then drips onto Roman. Yeah. And I wasn't really bothered about his death. No. Considering a lot of these characters are nondescript, I didn't like Roman. No, he's not. He's not easy to like, is he? He's no, a bit of a, a... again, he's got like the fake British actor playing an American oh, accent. Yeah, yeah. And he's just a little rat man. I didn't <laughs> like him. He's a bit like a sort of uh, slightly more likable knockoff of uh, the oh, what's his name from uh, the Santara and Two Parter. 
Yes, the, I know the who Weasley, you mean. Uh, science kid in that. Yeah. yeah, the guy that owns the school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name. But anyway, yeah. And just when you think things can't get any worse, Maggie enters the shuttle and sprays Edward. So he was getting ready to pilot the shuttle. Yeah, he's now infected. There's water on board. Yeah, that is no longer an option. Yes. So, so he makes the decision at, at that moment, doesn't he, to uh, destroy the rocket. Yeah. And that causes a breach in the base. It yeah. starts to lose yeah. oxygen. Everybody dies. End of episode. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. Oh, no. <laughs> the doctor's back. Yes. So um, this is the moment where he's like, that that tension between I've got to leave and I can't. I can't help but get involved. I because he, you know if he turns up, he wants to be involved and in, he can't just stand by when people are suffering. Yeah. So, so he sort of heroically walks through the flames yeah. and says he's due to die. He knows that's coming, but he yeah. says it's not here. And yeah, because he gets because like because obviously the prophecy that he heard in the previous episode uh, he will knock four times. Yeah. Like you hear them hammering on the doors. And you get three knocks. He says, "That's three knocks, and that's all you're getting." Yeah, so, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I the Doctor takes ownership of the laws of time. He says, "Basically, I don't care about fixed points anymore. Yeah, I'm the only Time Lord left. Time works how I say it works." Absolutely, yes. Because obviously, the Time Time Lords historically, like they frowned on meddling. They were they viewed themselves as more custodians of time. And uh, but he's like, well, they're dead now, so I don't have to. Yeah, exactly. like, not that he ever particularly followed their rules. He has to. He can follow them even less now, or so yeah. he claims. So he's sort of like in this moment. Yeah. He's just sort of over the time war now. Yes. He's just yeah. like, ah, fuck it. Yeah. And is this the moment where he sort of declares himself the Time Lord victorious? Yeah. He says, yeah. you know, I'm going to start fighting time itself. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's mine to command. I also think this is the first time in the episode that the enemy are referred to as the Flood. I think he's mentioned it previously. But it's obviously, I think it's very much just like a nickname that he has given them. Because he, he likes to name his enemies. Yeah. Because, I don't know, I think, I, I think this would have worked better if it was like midnight and it was never acknowledged. Potentially, yeah. I would have liked that spin on this enemy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know for a fact that that is what they are called. It's just like he's given them that name, so he's got something to identify them as. But yeah. yeah. So the Doctor then takes control of Gadget as Adelaide initiates Action 5. Yeah. So all the ice is beginning to crack. The flood is absolutely decimating yeah. everything it can. And Gadget gets in the TARDIS. Yes. Just as Bowie Blaze blows up. Yeah. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> and turns out the Doctor actually saved everyone. Well, everyone who was left to be saved. Yeah. Which is three people. Yeah. So there's Mia, who just absolutely freaks out. Yeah. She doesn't like the idea that, you know, she possibly should have died. Mm -hmm. She doesn't like the idea that the TARDIS is bigger on the inside than yep. the outside. Well, it's... It's... it's quite traumatic circumstances in which to be bundled into a weird tempor temporally uh, like transcendental space vehicle mm. and be 
transported from one planet instantaneously yeah. to another one. Because uh, we should point out, he's just like dumped them on this street in London. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so she just kind of skitters off. So it's outside Adelaide's house. Yeah. And the doctor says, well, don't worry. It can be different details, but the same story can still happen. Mm. She can still inspire her granddaughter in different ways. Yeah. So Adelaide isn't very happy with that. No, she she kind of calls the doctor out on this. Yeah, on basically denying her her destiny. Yeah. So it's at this point he declares himself Time Lord Victorious and goes a bit mental. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we'd kind of already seen that in the previous uh, scene. He'd, he'd kind of, you know, he was kind of just raging as he was doing it and saying, you know, the laws of time are mine to, to command. Um, and yeah, so he's, he, but yeah, there's this kind of insane arrogance to, to it, just being like, yeah, look what I've done. I, d- I, I don't care anymore about, about these so-called rules. I have saved important. And he also makes a point as well uh, he says like, "Oh yeah, I've saved some little people here and there, but I've saved you, one, you know, this important person, Adelaide Brooke, and like that is more valuable somehow." Yeah. Um, and she contests who is he to decide who's a little person or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because he's he, effectively he's playing God at this point. So Adelaide goes home to live the rest of her life with her daughter and granddaughter. Yeah, they live happily, happily ever after. Oh wait, though. No. For about three seconds. <laughs> then you hear the shot, see the sort of muzzle flare. Yeah. Because she just shoots herself. Yeah. If you'd come all the way across from Mars, would you do that in your front room, knowing that your daughter's going to wake up in the morning and find your dead body? I wouldn't, but I buy that Adelaide would. She seems the sort... She, I mean, she's, she's not a jolly soul, is she? No, but still, you'd go out in the woods... Maybe. Go around the back of Asta. Yeah, I know. I think it's. I think it's a powerful moment, though. Oh, it? absolutely. Yes. Because the Doctor, for all his gusto, ten seconds ago, yeah, immediately realizes he's gone too far. Yeah, her death is on him. Yeah, it's like it's like that inflating ego. Like that that gunshot is just the needle to the blue, just pop, instant. Yeah. He's just like. And he's just like, I think he's like, isn't he like on his knees at that point? Yeah. It's like. And when he wakes up, yeah. he sees an ood. Yeah. Now, we'll probably discuss this more when we talk about the finale. I expect so. I'm a bit sick of the ood. <laughs> I found them like, they've gone from like an uninspiring secondary character yeah. to like the new face of Bo. Yes. Yeah. No. That's certainly what, what, what RTV wants you to... I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't like the nude. Fair enough. Okay. And the episode ends with the Doctor declaring it's not his time to die. Yeah. There you go. Bit of a downer, isn't it? Yeah. Like I say, <laughs> it was worth it for that ending. Yes. But yeah. on the whole, it was an okay episode. Yeah, I, I think it, it definitely is. It's those last 20 minutes that get the is what gives it the prestige that it has within within the Doctor Who yeah. and, and and people hold you know hold it in such high regard. I I personally think it's it's good, but yeah, not great. I, I worry that now as we've seen more episodes, 
I can only remember a handful of really good episodes and a handful of really bad ones. Yeah. I'm going to throw this into the like the great grey. Like, there's a lot of episodes now where yeah. I probably couldn't tell you what happened because I yeah. just they I, don't stand out. I would say it's it it stands out for me because of what it's doing with in terms of the the character development for the Doctor. Mm-hmm. I don't think it stands out so well. And also, but actually, I will say I do. I think we both agree. The flood as a monster, I think, is is a pretty cool concept, yes. and that yeah. works well. I think the big downside is the supporting cast is underdeveloped, and and we've talked before about it, like based on the siege, that is a classic style of Doctor Who story. We've seen have, multiple. Have we ones, seen so. a good one? Yeah, Impossible uh, Planet. Yeah, that's the only one. And, I can and, think of. and the the thing that I think really sets that apart and makes it work is because the supporting cast, the characters who are in that base feel like real fully developed people and we don't get that sense for most of the characters in this no. Yuri gets a couple of moments to be a bit more human yeah but not they could probably could have benefited by yeah. merging some of these characters yeah I think they just had a certain number of like beats they wanted to hear and stuff so like they're not memorable and likeable in the way that the characters in uh, Satan Pit are mm-hmm. so I think that's what dings it a couple of points for me, but but overall, yeah, it's it's pretty solid and and it sets it teases up very nicely, I think, for what will be uh, David Tennant's final outing. Spoilers, but I mean, yeah, it does. But at the same time, at the end, I had no idea what the ending was going to be. No, you know, this whole he knocks four times. We haven't met anyone who knocks four times, haven't yeah. we? Well. <laughs> You know, so yeah, no. So yeah, no. It, it doesn't like lead you in in terms of plot, but what I mean is in terms of like it puts. I think it. You've got a you've got a doctor who has been traveling without a companion for a little while, so it doesn't have that grounded. Thing that he you know he benefited from with Donna and with Martha and with Rose, we don't have that, um, and we've seen him. You know, cross the threshold, go too far. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of set him off on a bit of a wobble. It, it feels like things are coming to a head for him. You know, uh, you know, he's having this kind of crisis at this point. So uh, yeah, I think that that sets us up in an interesting fashion. Yeah. So uh, yeah, join us next week when we will be discussing parts one and two of the end of time because I am not doing those in two separate episodes. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah until then thanks very much for listening and cheerio bye now If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.